Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's twice weekly leadership podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. I'm your host now, 300 episodes in to a podcast. What's the formula for success? Often just consistency showing up, and we have done that for you 300 times. This podcast airs now twice weekly on Tuesdays and Fridays, both on audio and video, where Franklin Covey, in a tribute to our co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, tries to live what he called the abundance mentality. We are experts on very particular areas, helping you build a culture that is a high-trust culture, a culture of productivity and leadership. We're experts at sales performance, but we're not experts at everything, including mental health. And today, I am honored to be featuring one of the world's most successful authors, co-authors, and writing collaborators. Her name is Laura Morton, and she is the co-collaborator of 21 New York Times best-selling books. She has written books with people like Justin Bieber and John Maxwell, Jennifer Hudson, and the Jonas Brothers, Glenn Stearns, and many others, where she is often the writer behind the scenes, but has many credits to her name. Her name, she is everybody's dream writing partner, but she also is recently known as the co-director, producer, and writer of a remarkable movie named Anxious Nation that will be the majority of our conversation today. You're going to find this discussion with Laura, who has dedicated much of her life now as the mother to children that have some anxiety issues to really bring to light the normalization of this conversation around how pervasive anxiety is, not just in our children, but in the parents that nurture them. I think you're going to want to tune in riveted to this conversation with Laura Morton. Laura, welcome to On Leadership. Scott, thank you so much for having me. It is just an honor and a privilege to be here. We are delighted to be featuring this conversation today. Laura, we're going to have a two-part conversation. The majority of this is going to be around your role as the producer, writer, and and co-director, I think it is, of this movie, Anxious Nation, that launched several months ago. It was in wide release in some theaters. People can now rent it by going to anxiousnation.com or renting or buying it on Amazon or Apple or Google+. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what I want to first do is kind of reintroduce you. I mean, you have collaborated on 21 New York Times bestselling books, many more bestsellers when you count all the other lists. What I'd like to know is, what have you learned from co-authoring books with some of the biggest names in business, in entertainment, in sports. If people really knew all of the names of the people, of all these people that you've co-authored, it's like you know everyone. You also know their entire stories. So you are like a model of discretion and confidentiality of what should be included, not included. Would you take a few minutes and reintroduce yourself to all of our listeners? How does someone become perhaps the most famous co-author in the world? Well... First of all, I'm humbled by that introduction. Thank you very much. I, I certainly do feel I'm at the top of my game. But if I, if uh, you know, if you ask me if, if I'm the best, there are a lot of people who who do it at a very high level. There are some things that I do. I think that that do put me, you know, at the higher rung. And that, that is, is, you know, I I just inherently know a good story. And I, you know, several years ago, I was approached by John Maxwell to write his book, Intentional Living. And he, you know, he uses the same co-author for his books for many, many years. The book that he wanted to write with me was his 75th book. 
And it was an interesting dilemma because, you know, he had this incredible relationship with his co-author, uh, uh, Charlie Wirtz also, I mean, an excellent writer, but Charlie wasn't able to do something with John that I was, and that was get John to go personal. And, you know, that's a relationship that's built on truth and trust. And what's amazing, and this leads into the question that you asked me, is that with every book that I write, I reap the benefit and reward of all of those life experiences. So all of the business experiences, all of the, the business coaching, all of, you know, the, the highs and the lows, the challenges and the victories, I get to take with me from those experiences. The thing that I took with me from working with John Maxwell was I got very intentional in the work that I wanted to do. And for me, that meant that I had three boxes that a book has to check for me to say yes to it these days. From that day forward, if it didn't check those boxes, uh, I just, you know, it was an easy no. And, uh, you know, I, I'm excited when I get the opportunity to work with somebody, especially in a field I don't know that much about, because then I can be like a sponge of information. So I've worked with, you know, Danica Patrick. I've worked with, you know, you mentioned Justin Bieber and the Jonas Brothers, but I've also worked with people like Al Roker and Deborah Roberts and Joan London. And I've written about, I, I worked with Dog the Bounty Hunter. Um, so I've written about bounty hunting, breast cancer, business, losing a business, rebuilding a business, um, what it takes to build a multi-billion dollar empire, uh, and, and everything in between. And uh, it's, it's such a privilege to be able to work with people on that level. It's an intimate relationship. And it's, you know, I'm holding their legacy in my hands. So, you know, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. Laura, I want to reserve time to talk about the, uh, the movie Anxious Nation, but I can't help but ask you, what have you learned about storytelling? What have you learned about what makes a great book? What have you learned about life as an entrepreneur, as a, a celebrity from all these collaborations that our audience might find not just interesting, but applicable in their own role as chief storyteller for their company, which all CEOs are, or chief author of a book, which most people want to write a book. Just take that wherever you'd like to go for a few minutes and what, what have you learned along this amazing journey? Sure. I mean, I learned, <laughs> I've learned so much. I, I feel like there isn't an MBA program on the planet that could teach what I've had the experience of learning from the people that I've worked with. And there, and even, you know, musicians who are not, you know, uh, leaders and CEOs of large corporations, they certainly are the CEOs of their brand, right? So uh, when I work with people like Melissa Etheridge, that is, you know, she's, she's got a brand. So one of the things that I learned, I always love to tell this story. I worked with a, a, a real estate coach uh, by the name of Tom Ferry. Tom has one of the uh, largest, if not the largest, real estate coaching business in the world, Tom Ferry International. And when I worked with Tom, it took him about a year to get me to say yes to writing his book. And here's what got me to say yes. After kind of pitching me on, on a bunch of different ideas, one night we went to dinner. We were in New York City, and he sat down and he said, have I ever told you about the four addictions? And I was just getting ready to reach for a frosty, cold, perfect martini. And I kind of, you know, pulled my hand back and said, uh, no, you know, would you like to tell me about the four addictions? And he said, there are four addictions that, you know, everybody deals with on one level or another. It, maybe it's one addiction. Maybe it's a combination of the four addictions. But these are the root cause of all other addictions. Scott, do you want to take a guess at what they are? Fear. Jealousy, self, lack of self-control, 
looking stupid in the eyes of, I don't know. What do you, what do you got? <laughs> well, I, I went down a very similar path, right? Uh, and then he went on to say, these are the four addictions that, that everybody really struggles with. Worry, which I, I would say correlates with what you were saying with fear, but it's worry, it's drama, it's the addiction to the opinions of others, and it's living in the past. And when he shared that with me, I just kind of took a deep breath and said, I've got to write this guy's book. He's so much more than a real estate coach. He knows about life. And, you know, and this kind of, you know, took us on a path. And the name of his book is Life by Design. Um, and, you know, he's a great example of somebody who, when we wrote his book, he was probably doing about $8 million a year. And now I don't know the numbers, but he's well into the hundreds of millions of dollars. And, um, you know, he, he taught me so much and everybody that I work with has these lessons that they impart. They've been through incredible challenges. They've been through, you know, so many of the CEOs that I've worked with came from poverty. They came from nothing. And they bootstrapped their way, you know, whether it was, you know, joining the military as a way to get a college education or to straighten out their lives or, you know, whether they were first person in, in their you know, family to actually, you know, go to college. The stories all have these bits and pieces of, of triumph and victory. And if they can do it, so can you. Like that's a common theme in the book. And the lessons remarkably might be similar in terms of the payoff, but how how they got there are never really the same. And that's what makes it so spectacular. And that's why people like reading other people's books, because we want to be able to relate to their stories. And we want to be able to say, oh, my God, that was me, too. And I went through that or I'm going through that right now. Let me see how he got through it and let's see what I can take from it. And so that's the value and the beauty. When somebody takes the time to share their story with you, and everybody's got a story, right? I mean, in, in essence, I call that job security, but everybody has a story. Most people let their story die at the kitchen table. I don't know how many people you know that, that have said, oh, a million people have told me I should write a book, and they never do. And, you know, and there is an art to writing a, a really good, compelling book, because not every story is worthy of a book, but everybody has a story. Oh, I so see a 21 series podcast where I'm just interviewing you on the stories behind all the stories you've written appropriately for all these bestsellers. Stand, stand by for the Scott Miller, Laura Morton podcast series. Okay. Coming soon. <laughs> Coming soon. Uh, let's talk about Anxious Nation. You uh, sure. wrote, produced, and co-directed this uh, movie that really brings voice to the pervasiveness of anxiety in our world today. You have an intimate association with this topic because of what's going on in your family. I have a variety of questions I want to answer or ask you and talk about. But first, would you talk a little bit about the movie Anxious Nation? Talk about AnxiousNation.com, why you produced this movie. And then I have eight or ten questions I want to ask you about it. My pleasure. Thanks for bringing this up, Scott, because this really is, of all the, the work that I've done, and certainly I've written, you know, 60 plus books, and, and most of them are, are books that change people's lives. There isn't anything that I've done that I think can have and will have a greater impact than our film Anxious Nation. And the reason I made the film is because I'm the parent of an anxious teenager. And my daughter's been anxious since I would say she was three years old, but it took us seven years to get a diagnosis, to get somebody to say, here's what's going on. 
because so often in this country, we look at physical health and we don't really address emotional health. And certainly when I had the idea to make this film in 2018, we were not talking about mental health the way that we talk about it today. And if anything, that's a silver lining because of the, the pandemic. But the problem has gotten worse. It certainly is not getting better. And I thought what was happening in our home was only happening in our home. I thought I was failing as a parent. I thought that I was letting my daughter down. She wasn't getting any better. And so I put a single post on Facebook that said, kids and anxiety, who's dealing with it? And this was, again, in 2018, five, almost five years ago to the day. And I was shocked at the response that we got because people at the time were really not talking about it. There was so much shame, so, so much stigma. And so people responded on Facebook, I am, we are, my granddaughter is, my son is. But then the private messages started coming in. And they were coming in from people that I know, people that I knew well, people I had just had dinner with. And not once did this come up. As, as a topic of conversation. And what I realized was we were all suffering alone. And I knew that if my family was struggling, I, I couldn't imagine how other families were getting through this. So I set off on this journey to explore anxiety in our country. How does it show up? You know, why does it show up? And most importantly, what can we do about it? How can we harness anxious energy? And that's what anxiety is. It's nothing but energy. How can we harness that anxious energy and use it for good? In the course of this six-year podcast, now beyond its 300th episode, I've read 300 books, right? Because most of our guests have books. This is not a book review podcast. It's a thought leadership podcast to help everyone be a better leader as parent, as entrepreneur, as corporate officer, you name it. Um, I've only watched one movie in preparation, and it's yours. Although Thank I'm you. sure Matthew McConaughey has lots of movies I should have watched to interview him. I watched Anxious Nation with my three sons, who are 9, 11, and 13. And I'm usually having to tell them to be quiet, and they didn't say a single word. They just sat on the bed uh -huh. watching it with me. We watched it recently, and I want to share an epiphany I had while watching Anxious Nation. Before I do that, I want to hopefully, as a credible podcast host, remind all of our listeners and viewers, if you are a friend, a spouse, a parent, a caregiver, a shepherd, a leader of anybody in your life that is suffering from any level of anxiety, you need to rent this movie, Anxious Nation, because it will, it'll be an epiphany for you in terms of your contribution and your role in their life. Let me tell you, when I, I was raised in a very stable upper middle class family in the 70s in Central Florida. I, I call it the meatloaf family, right? I mean, we, we wanted, we didn't have anything we wanted, we had everything we needed. And my parents' number one value was stability. As a child, although 50 years ago we didn't call it anxiety, I had a series of ticks that we never talked about. I would roll my eyes, I would have a, um, a repeated groan, I would uh, stretch my neck. I never did them at the same time, but I would do them for three or four weeks at a stretch, I would try to hide them. I would have to turn my body so no one could see me to hide these self-soothing tics. And I've always remembered it, I also was a stutterer, had a speech impediment, and my parents were loving parents, but. I don't think they really knew it or saw it or ignored it or knew their contribution to it. Um, fast forward, I got married when I was 41. 
Very successful career. I'm still married to my wife. Let me check my watch. Three kids will do a lot to your marriage. <laughs> and when my oldest son, Thatcher, who is now 13, Laura, was two, he started picking his face. And we would go to church, and it looked like he had chicken pox for a year. I mean, literally, it looked like our, no, this kid was, you know, in a very healthy home. What, you know, I, I can't, I, I'm embarrassed about all of the, the, the access to opportunity we had. We didn't know why our two-year-old was picking his face, and he had scabs all over. It looked like he had chicken pox for a year. Well, last night, your movie answered the question for me. Mm-hmm. Your movie explained to me that anxious parents create anxious children. And anxious parents go one of two ways. We either, quote, feed the beast or we do like tough love and shut it down. And that is so vital for parents to understand what are we doing to create a worry culture? A, I, think, I think you call it catastrophic thinking. I want to stop yeah. there for a moment and I want you to speak to the millions of leaders and parents and spouses and caregivers about how important it is to understand their own mental health. I was super anxious, right? I, I was single for 41 years and I was a confirmed bachelor. All of a sudden, I got married and had three boys and my world was rocked. I want you just to riff on the lessons from my story that I took from your movie last night. Well, first of all, I wanna thank you for your vulnerability. I really cannot tell you how courageous it is for you to share that with your audience because by speaking about it, Scott, you are helping to take away that shame and take away that stigma because what's happening in my home is happening in other homes, right? What's happening in your home is happening in other homes. We just don't talk about it. So thank you right off the top for sharing that very intimate information about your world with with all of us. Um, I also think it's really important. I think so often, especially business leaders, because I have this conversation a lot, they underestimate the, the impact mental health has on their bottom line. And they don't understand that if we don't provide mental health programs, mental health initiatives for our team members who are coming back after COVID, after lockdown, you know, and, and they're, they're, they're dealing with anxious kids. They're dealing with their own anxiety. I mean, I honestly don't think that I ever dealt more with anxiety than I did during the pandemic. And, you know, it, it, I think it triggered something in all of us, but employers need to understand that it's great to offer benefits, but what employees need now are benefits that actually speak to their needs. I think it's so undervalued. And, you know, there's so much information that shows that this costs the business sector hundreds uh, and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars a year in lost profit, in productivity, in absenteeism. Last year, we had the highest rates of absenteeism in the workplace and in school. So my daughter, my daughter missed 40 plus days of school last year for a variety of reasons. One, we were promoting Anxious Nation and my daughter's in the film. She's the inspiration behind the film. But two, she also had a number of mental health days and schools are learning that they also have to make accommodation. I read this morning that they just did, um, they, they did a, a poll of over 5,000 middle and high school students asking them what's important to them right now as they're re-entering back into school. And their answer was, 
not to put so much emphasis on test results and more emphasis on helping us cope and get through the challenges. And I think we have to listen to that because that's what's happening in people's homes. And what happens in people's homes trickles into what happens in the office. It trickles into what's happening in every single company in the world. This is a global issue. So from my point of view, we, we can talk about it, which is a really good start. But I really think that, that hope is not a plan, right? I think that hope to action, we need to implement structure within organizations that, that help us help our team members feel seen and heard and help them understand we get it. And I, you know, I, I advocate for this very strongly, um, especially like you know, HR departments. I think they're really struggling. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll liken it to what's happening, in, you know, with school counselors or school nurses. They're so inundated with kids showing up and going, "I just can't be here today." And and I think that HR departments must be struggling on the same level with people not wanting to return back to the office, people that are returning back to the office, but now they've got a kid who's in the nurse's office in the middle of the day. And how do you leave to go? How do you tell your boss, hey, my kid is having an emotional, uh, you know, moment and can't stay in school and I need to go get them and not have that impact your performance or your review or, you know, so I think there's a lot that we need to talk about and a lot that we need to bring to the surface. Here's what I think should happen after having dedicated my entire 30-year career to the leadership industry and the health of organizations. I think every leader that is listening or watching this podcast should do the following. You should give each of your team members the $4 or the $6 or whatever it was to go cost and rent the movie. I don't think you should rent the movie in a conference room and have everybody watch it together. I think you should give all of your employees, every one of them, the reimbursement to go rent the movie, either on anxiousnation.com or on Amazon or on Apple or Google Plus, and let the, let the employee of yours watch the movie in the privacy of their home or wherever, and let them, like me, digest it, unpack it, peel the onion, and then come back to work and at their comfort level, discuss it as a group. I love that so much, but I wanna say that one of the things that we've done is to make this easy is we've created a viewer's guide. So that if, if, if you want to do that, uh, we've given, we have a guide that we can provide to you that will help you have this conversation in a productive way with your employees. We also can make the guide available to your employees so that they can have that conversation in the comfort of their own home. So we have a guide that is designed for HR, right? It has a module for HR departments. We have a guide that is designed, you know, for professionals, right? So for school nurses, for, uh, you know, school counselors, teachers, educators, we have a guide that, that will address, you know, individually families being able to have this conversation because Scott, I'm curious to know after you finished watching the movie, what kind of conversation happened with your, with your kids? And, and did your wife watch the film with you? Stephanie watched some of it. She was busy packing lunches and doing laundry and things that, you know, moms do late into the evening and dads do and should also. Uh, we talked, there wasn't a lot of discussion it, because we were kind of all absorbing. I, I will discuss with Thatcher. He's my oldest son, the one that was picking his face. I will tell the same story to him that I just did to you because we have a very healthy increasingly mature conversation with a 13-year-old. But I, I'm still unpacking it. Like, I'm still thinking about it. In fact, I want to pivot to a second story and have you address this. Sure. Everyone, 
you need to go to anxiousnation.com, rent the movie, watch the movie, digest it, download her resources, and talk to Laura about building the, the, the health of your colleagues. One of the things I learned is this idea of catastrophic thinking. I fell classically into this, right? I say to my now very healthy, well-adjusted three sons that were very pleased with shepherding them well in an anxious world, guys, you have got to wear your helmets when you're on your electric scooters. Because what's gonna happen is you're gonna forget to look both ways, a car is gonna smack you, you're gonna spill your brains out, you're gonna be paralyzed for life, and your mom and I are gonna be feeding you with a tube up in that bedroom for the next 40 years. You're gonna wreck our financial, and, and, I, and, and I think I'm doing them service. Good God, what am I doing? Talk about this whole what if all these things go wrong and give some advice to everybody right now that either is falling into one of two camps. They think I'm a lunatic or they see themselves in me. I mean, I don't know a parent who hasn't had that conversation on some level, right? You know, it's, it, it, I don't want you to play football because you could get hurt, you could break your neck, you'll be paralyzed. It doesn't, you know, there's a million ways that you could look at this. And I, and, and I think that, you know, as parents, there's another scene in the, to, to answer your question, I want to say this. I think all parents do that because we come from a place of love. We think what we're doing is loving and caring. But when you do that to an anxious child, what you're doing is you're taking uh, an, a, a burning you know, ember and you're pouring gasoline all over it. You're turning it into a forest fire. And that's how it feels for your kid. And so they start to spin those thoughts and, and ruminate it like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. And for an anxious kid, that's a scary thought. And so I, I feel it's really important that we give our kids a little bit of freedom, that we give our kids, you know, we obviously we want them to wear a helmet, but we don't have to go down the catastrophic, you're going to be, you know, being fed through a tube. And, you know, this is just not going to work well for our family, right? I think it's so important. I learned so much making this film, but the thing that I learned, the biggest takeaway that I had, Scott, was that what my daughter feels is legit. It's legit to her. So no matter how I view it, and I can view it like, oh my God, why would that even be an issue? Why, you know, why is uh, going to homecoming a scary thought for you? Um, but it is. And I, and, and I, you know, I, so for so long, I think as parents, what we do is we, we put onto our kids who we want them to be. And we don't always allow them to just be who they are. And they're trying to figure it out, especially during their teenage years and their adolescent years. And then when they start to push, they're pushing for a reason. So I think one of the things that we have to recognize and understand is that their feelings are real. And if we don't acknowledge it, in fact, if we diminish it, what we're doing, and we talk about this in, in Anxious Nation, is we're actually feeding the cult leader. Anxiety is like a cult leader in your home. And as long as you're giving the cult leader what it wants, uh, it's, you know, it, everything's hunky-dory. As soon as you go against the cult leader, right? As soon as the, you say, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to feed that. That's when the problems start because kids want certainty. And we don't live in a certain world. We can't always say this is what the outcome is going to be. And that's part of, it goes right, right back to the early part of our conversation. It's part of how we learn and grow. We have to go through these experiences. We have to, so that we can understand what works, what doesn't work, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. If we try as parents to constantly protect our children from feeling, I'll, I'll just say, if you're an anxious parent, from feeling the way that you do, they will never understand how they feel. They will understand how you want them to feel.
I hope that makes sense. Laura, I've kind of come up with this idea that I'm anxious, but I don't think I suffer from anxiety. Now, I know you're not a mental health professional, but does that seem reasonable to you, or do you think I'm sort of just cleaning up my self-assessment? No, I think it's totally reasonable. And the reason is, is that anxiety, as I said earlier, anxiety is energy. It's the fight, flight, or freeze response. And what happens is, so here's the, here's the first thing I want people to understand. You cannot cure anxiety. You can learn to treat it. You can manage it. You can learn to you know, expect that it will show up. And then what do I do with it when it does? But we're wired. It's genetically in our DNA to have that response. You want to have that response in the right circumstance. And by the way, a lot of people think what's happening with our kids is not normal, but they actually are, are I mean, what is normal? Start there. But they're having a pretty normal response to a lot of the, the, the things that they've had to endure, especially in the last three, four, five years, right? Uh, a once in a lifetime global pandemic, uh, being you know in lockdown, um, you know having to learn on Google Classroom from home. I mean, these are not things that are typical. So it's, you know, for some kids that actually reduced their anxiety because they didn't have the struggles in, uh, of being at school, right? And for parents, I think it ratcheted up our anxiety. So I think that anxiety can be situational. Um, and, you know, just as you have a kid who is prone to, let's say, be a great tennis player or uh, a great musician, you're, you know, sometimes you're gonna have a kid that is more prone to being anxious, right? It's in our DNA. So it's really important to understand that what's happening is that fight or flight response goes haywire, right? It becomes unmanageable. So that's what makes us freeze. That's what makes us not be able to speak in front of a crowd. That's what makes us, uh, you know, that's that being anxious, but not necessarily have anxiety. You can have situational anxiety, which is probably what you feel, Scott. So to answer your question, I think, look, everybody has anxiety. Everybody who worries has anxiety. And it's, it is a natural response to unnatural things happening. You're being chased by a dog. You know, something doesn't feel right when you're walking on a street in a big city. That's, you're supposed to feel that way. But what happens when that just goes on overdrive? That's what we're seeing over and over and over again. And not just in our kids, but our, our you know, in, the, in their parents. And surprisingly, the second largest demographic that is coping with anxiety today are seniors. And so it's really important to understand this is not just a kid problem. You know, the movie Anxious Nation uh, is rife with interviews of mental health professionals from all walks of life and cultures and backgrounds. And I think one of the wisest things I heard was you had one of your experts on the show talk about how if you had a rash, you would immediately go and you know, buy some ointment at the store, apply it within a matter of an hour, and if it hadn't gone away in two or three days, you would be at the doctor, no questions asked. But we never allocate that same level of attention to mental health issues. I want, I, I want you to, to address what are some good first steps for anyone listening to this, because we share a mutual friend in Matt Gutman. Matt Gutman, of course, to ABC correspondent. I interviewed him last week on his book, No Time to Panic. And there's a reason why his book hit the top 15 of all books in print on Amazon last week, where he talks about his own struggle, lifelong struggle with anxiety on air. As ABC's chief news correspondent, you inter he interviewed you for the launch of the movie. 
Yes. Talk about why Matt Gutman's book was number 14 on Amazon last week. It wasn't because he's handsome, he is, or because he's on ABC, <laughs> which he is. But also, would you talk about why Anxious Nation is the right time to be released and what can parents and leaders and caregivers and friends and spouses do to help people in their lives that may be suffering from a rash that you can't see? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I love Matt and I'm so proud of him for his book and the success of his book. And he, obviously he touched a chord like we've touched a chord. People, you know, this is something that people don't want to talk about. So when they see somebody like Matt Gutman, who is this great adventurer talking about his panic and, and anxiety, but his panic attacks, uh, it makes them feel less weird, mm -hmm. right? It makes them feel seen and heard, and it makes them feel like it isn't just happening to them. And that's the greatest gift that we can give. In the film, that's Harold Koplowitz, the founder of Child Mind Institute, who, who says, you know, if we had a rash, we'd be at the doctor. He also says that on average, it takes families two to eight years, two to eight years, Scott, to seek help, mental health help for their children because they don't recognize and understand what's going on. And that's what happened in your own family. In our case, our professionals didn't understand what was going on. The pediatrician couldn't, couldn't identify it. And it took us seven or eight years for a doctor to finally say, this is anxiety. And so I think it's really important that we educate ourselves on this because most parents don't want, it's hard, it's hard to deal with, right? When it, 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 you know, it's just a phase. It's something that they'll grow out of. But the fact of the matter is, is you didn't grow out of your anxiety yeah. any more than they're going to grow out yeah. of their anxiety. Yeah. It will follow you throughout your life. So the greatest thing we can do is put the tools in the toolbox, teach them to understand that anxiety will creep in, it will show up understand what that feels like. And this is true for anybody of any age, right? And this is one of the things that Matt Gutman talks about so well. Uh, when that feeling starts to, to bubble up, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? Are you equipped? Do you have the resilience? Do you have the ability to say, I can manage my anxiety or my anxiety is going to manage me? And right there is the bridge between being able to live with your anxiety or letting your anxiety dictate how you live. I think my biggest takeaway from watching Anxious Nation was this concept of realizing your own patterns of thinking and understanding how you transfer those to your children. Because I'm quite confident, I pointed to the window on the second floor that the chair would be in that my boys would be sitting in for the next 30 years strapped in with a tube. I mean, insane. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but wow. I know, insane, yeah. right? Yeah. And I thought that was probably good parenting. I guarantee you HHS will be coming to my home because 30,000 people <laughs> are giving them my address right now. Right. Uh, fortunately, I'm married to a very sane, sound wife, Stephanie. But that same sentence can be transferred in the workplace, right? As leaders, realizing your own patterns of thinking is key to understanding how you're transferring them to your colleagues, positively and critically. Laura, uh, for all the millions of leaders that are listening to us and thinking about renting the movie for their family and their spouse, or their ex-spouse, right, to say, hey, we should watch this, I want you to revisit the topic around how human resource leaders, culture leaders, people leaders in organizations might think about reaching out to you or talking with you about the resources you have to make their organizations what Franklin Covey would call a workplace of choice for achievers with heart. 
remind everybody how they can connect with you and, and, and work with your resources. Absolutely. First of all, we would be delighted to come into any organization and let us carry the baton on this. Let you know. Let we can. Uh, you don't have to watch the whole film. We we in the viewer guide we have uh, sections of the film that are dedicated to exactly what we're talking about. So we can show little snippets, and then we can run a webinar. You know, we can do it remotely, or we can do it in person. Uh, we can work directly with your HR teams. But what I want to emphasize is that you cannot overlook the importance of this. I know that we're in you know, difficult financial times. I know that companies are struggling and reallocating and cutting budgets. You cannot cut your mental health initiatives because this ultimately will impact your bottom line more than the cost of whatever it is to bring in a program, right? So you know, when you tally up the number of days that people you know, cannot come to work because of their own mental health, when you tally up leaves of absence, when you tally up loss of productivity, those numbers will be staggering for you. And you know, what you want is a team, I just feel so strongly that, that when you take care of your people, your, your people will take care of your business. And this is the most important health crisis we are facing in this country right now. And we are the most anxious nation on the planet. The United States is the most anxious nation on the planet. Think about that. Think about other countries and what they're going through. We cannot continuously kick the can and say this isn't important or, you know, they can get five sessions because that's what our insurance allows them to have. You wouldn't want your child or yourself to have five sessions if you had cancer. You wouldn't, you know, here, we're going to give you five chemo sessions, right? And hopefully your cancer will go away. Yeah. We need to be there and to keep resources and useful tools in the toolbox at work, every bit as much as we do at home. And, and to underestimate this is costing you money. If you're running a business, if you're a business leader, if you're a CEO, if you're owner of a company, big or small, mental health is costing your business money right now. So what are you gonna do about it? Okay, much less important, but no less interesting. What's it like to write a book with Justin Bieber? <laughs> I love the guy. I totally love the guy. I, you know, I worked with him when he was, you can see by the picture behind me, he was young, uh, about 18, just graduating high school when I worked with him. Something nobody uh, is really aware of with Justin is one, he showed up for every single one of our phone meetings, which is pretty much what we had. Two, he's very savvy in business. He's had some really good people around him that have helped him understand his finances. And if we can teach financial literacy to our kids, it doesn't matter if you're Justin Bieber making, you know, 60, 70, $80 million a year at the time, or if, you know, and obviously much more now, or if it's somebody like my daughter who basically just thinks the bank of mom is gonna take care of everything, we must teach our kids financial literacy. And so he was great, I, I loved him. Uh, people are often surprised when I tell them that Jerry Springer right there was one of my favorite clients. Um, but there's a guy that uh, was the mayor of Cincinnati. He was an 11, I believe uh, 11 Emmy award winning uh, broadcast journalist before he took over for Phil Donahue when he started the Jerry Springer show. He was a really smart man and I was really sad when he passed this year. Um, but I, you know, I, I've had the privilege of working with some pretty amazing people, all of whom uh, are, are people that I will say um, have impacted my life greatly. And I know that our, our projects together have impacted other people's lives. And I want to say a number of people who I've worked with are also supporters of Anxious Nation. They are the reason I was able to make the film. And then so that's, you know, it's when it's personal to you. 
uh, you know, what won't you do, right? If, if you're struggling with anxiety or you love somebody who's struggling with anxiety, you know, this is a personal, this is a personal conversation. And I'm happy to anyone listening, please reach out to me. I am happy to, to steer people in the right direction, give you the right resources, work with you. Uh, we're, that's the reason we made the film. We didn't make this film, uh, you know, to make money. We made this film to impact lives. And that takes me right back to the very beginning of the conversation of John Maxwell. And one of those boxes was that everything I do, one of those boxes has to be that it has to put good into the world. And I want to show the world how to harness anxious energy and use it for good. 21 New York Times bestselling books, many more other bestsellers and producer, writer, and co-director of the recently released movie, Anxious Nation. Visit anxiousnation.com. Like me, I rented it on, like I think I said, Amazon Plus. It's also on, I think, Apple TV and Google Plus. Uh, Laura Morton, your class act. Thanks for your time today. Thanks so much, Scott. And really, um, if you want more information, please visit us at anxiousnation.com. And Scott, I'm so grateful for having us on the show and, and knowing that you're having these conversations with people like Gutman and with us, you're impacting lives as well. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, and we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. <laughs> <laughs>